seems it's positively true that you've been out with someone I was new. When I ask you to explain, you find excuses and complain. You always underestimate my brain. Well, a very good afternoon to you, and happy Wednesday, everybody. Everyone's looking good, fit and dapper. Fit as a fiddle. Did your mother used ever say that? You look fit as a fiddle. I don't know if my mom said it. Somebody said it. I used to hear that all the time. Oh, my, you are fit as a fiddle. Well, that's the way you guys look today. And why not? In St. Louis today, we're going to have 60 degrees. That's not too bad for the uh, 9th of December. And this is Bob Bro, and I welcome you to the best old-time radio podcast for Wednesday, December 9th, 2020. Chester has picked the show today, and Chester, I think this is a good one. Thank you very much. And this one is a mystery, because on Wednesdays we play mysteries or detective shows, and we're going to tell you all about it in just a minute. What we need you to do is to get over in that big comfortable chair or stretch out on that sofa, get your feet up, maybe get yourself a little something to drink or a snack, and let the cares of the day just drift away, because we're going to come right back at you with this week's old-time radio mystery. Coming up now, of course, is Dragnet. In this episode, we're going to listen to tonight, originally aired on September the 1st, 1953. The name of this episode is The Big Bop. Friday and uh, Frank Smith are on the lookout for a thief who has been robbing small stores, in this case, a check-cashing store. I didn't remember check-cashing stores back in the 50s. I thought that was something that came up these days in the last 10 years or so because of the economy. But I guess not. In 1953, they had check-cashing stores. Very interesting. The proprietor of the store is Vic Rodman, and it's very funny to listen to him and his dialogue uh, with the detectives. He always played this same character, and he almost always reacted the same. I, I shouldn't say always. He frequently played this same character, and it was always with the same comic results. Uh, Lillian Byeth is also in this one, and Harry Bartell, both regulars on Dragnet. I don't see that this one was ever done on TV, but I could be wrong about that. I went down the list of the TV logs for Dragnet, didn't find it, but I just kind of perused it very quickly. All right, well, here we go. From 1953, September the 1st, here is Dragnet and the Big Bop. 
ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. For the past three weeks, a lone thief has been victimizing stores and check-cashing agencies. You've got a description of the man, but so far you've failed to identify him. Your job? Get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Friday, June 10th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner is Frank Smith, the boss is Chief of Detective Stad Brown. My name's Friday. We'd gotten a call that there'd been a holdup, and it was 10.36 a.m. when we got to the corner of Alvarado and Catalina Streets, the Harrison Check Cashing Agency. I'm sorry, you'll have to come back. We've had some trouble and we're not open for business. Come back in the barn now. Police officer, sir. Oh, well, where have you been? I was held up, you know, held right up. Yes, sir. Yeah, fellows in the police car was here, and they told me that you'd come out. Well, where have you been? It's taken you long enough. Didn't you use the siren? Yes, sir. We came out just as soon as we got the call. It seems us taxpayers would get better service than that. Well, sir, the call just came in four minutes ago. Oh, well, all right then. Well, now let me tell you all about it. Yes, sir, if you would, please. Oh, you just bet I would. Well, now, first off, I had trouble sleeping last night. I knew right off it was going to be a bad day. I can always tell you, know, when I've had a bad night, the next day is always a doozy. Did you give the officers in the radio car a description of the man? Well, yeah, Jeff? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I sure did. I gave it to them right off. Now, are you going to let me tell you all about the holdup? Yes, sir. If you go ahead, please. Well, I had a bad night. Real bad. I knew... Oh, oh, say, say, my, my name's Harrison. Abel Harrison. I don't think I've got you a fellow's name. Oh, that's my partner, Frank Smith. My name's Friday. Oh, I do glad to know you, yeah. Darn fool next door kept pounding the typewriter all night. He never let up. Sir? The man next door, that's why I didn't get any sleep. Some crackpot trying to be a writer. Oh, it's an awful thing. All night long. Dit, 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 ding, dit, dit, ding. All night. Not a wink of sleep. Yes, sir. If you just tell us about the robbery, please. You ain't interested, huh? Well, no, sir, it isn't that. It's just that the more time we lose here, the harder it's going to be to apprehend the suspect. You can understand that. Oh, well, yeah. Now, maybe if you just answer some questions for us, it might be easier and... Possibly a little faster, huh? Okay. Fire away. What time did the man come in? About 10-12. Was he alone? Yep. Did it look like there might have been anybody else with him? Nope. Do you know if he drove an automobile? Couldn't tell. I see. Well, would you tell us exactly what he said and what he did from the time that you first saw him? Came in, 10-12, had a gun, walked over to me, pointed the gun, told me to stick up. <laughs> that the way you fellows want it? Well, you just relax, Harrison, will you, and tell the story in your own words. I'm trying to do just that. Yes, sir. Maybe if I went slower, it'll be easier for you boys. All right, sir, you go right ahead. Well, he came in, stood around for a minute, then come over to the counter. I asked him if I could help him. Uh-huh. We cashed checks, you know, payroll checks. First off, I thought that's what he wanted, to cash a check. Wasn't, though. I asked him what he wanted, and he pulled out the gun, told me to keep quiet and hand him the money. So I gave him the money, all there was in the door. I see, sir. About how much was taken, Mr. Harrison? About $1,500. He just took the paper money. He didn't want the silver. Had two paper bags. Looked like he carried his lunch in them. All kind of wrinkles, you know. Yes, sir. 
had me put the money in them. Then he told me to lay down on the floor, lay there and count to a hundred, buy ones. Told me not to move until I'd finished. He said if I did, he'd come back and kill me. The way he told me, you knew he meant it. After that, he left. All right, sir. What if you can give us a description of the man? Sure, but already gave one to the other cops. Ain't that enough? Well, we'd like to have you tell us, if you would, Mr. Harrison. Oh, them other fellows don't work with you, huh? Well, yes, sir, they do. But we'd just like you to describe the man to us. How tall was the man, Harrison? Well, let's see. I'd say about, ooh, five feet, maybe eight to ten inches. Mm-hmm. How much did he weigh, would you know? 150, right around in there. How old was he, would you know? Maybe 25, 26. How about his coloring? Was he dark or light complexion? No, dark. He had black hair, brown eyes, mean-looking eyes, like steel balls. Yes, sir. How was he dressed? Had a pair of Levi's on, Levi's and a blue shirt. He had a brown leather jacket on, too, one with a fur collar. Was he clean-shaven? Oh, yes. His face looked like he just had a shave. And the talcum powder on it. Uh, Do you wear glasses, sir? Yeah. What kind were they? I couldn't tell you. Just glasses. Well, do they have metal or plastic frames? Oh, plastic, yes. Mm -hmm. Light, you know, kind of tan plastic. Heavy. You know, the kind that don't have the little curly things around the ears. Just big pieces that went over the top. Did the man touch anything with his hands? No, no, he didn't. The other officers asked me that, too. He didn't touch a thing. Was anybody else present at the time? No, no one else. I was the only one here. Well, did the man have any marks or scars that you noticed? No, leastways not that I saw. Was there anything unusual about him? Anything that might help us identify him? Well, that mustache should help. Sir? His mustache. I think it's phonier than a $3 bill. Looked like it to me. Sure looked phony to me. Why do you say that? It was red. He was dark. Had black hair, black eyebrows. It seemed like he'd come up with a red mustache. <laughs> seemed like it to you? It's hard to say, sir. Don't seem like it to me, not at all. I'll tell you something else. What's that, sir? I think them glasses was fake, too. Glass in them was funny, you know, like it hadn't been ground, kind of flat. I think they was phony, just like the duster. And we'd like you to come down to the office and look at some other pictures, if you would, see if you can identify the man. Be glad to. I'll not do it today, though. Why is that, sir? Well, I already told you, you had a picture of him down there. I'd probably miss him. It's been a real bad day for me. Ah, well, tomorrow will be better, though. Why is that, sir? Gonna get some sleep tonight. That's so? Ride the landlady. Yeah? She let me in his room. I took it. What's that, sir? He ain't gonna do much typing without his ribbon, is he? For the past three weeks, we'd heard the same story. A man had entered a check-cashing agency or a small neighborhood store and at gunpoint taken all of the currency. Each time, he'd hit just after the owner or the manager had come back from the bank. The descriptions we'd gotten in each theft was the same. Each of the victims looked over the mug books, but they were unable to identify the suspect. The stats office had made an M.O. run going back ten years. The leads they turned up were run down, but they let us nowhere. Communications to George Brereton up at CII in Sacramento had turned up no new information. We were right where we were after the first robbery. We had a suspect we couldn't identify, a suspect that we couldn't find. 10.45 a.m., the latest victim closed up his place of business and started to accompany us downtown. As we walked out of the store, a police car pulled up to the curb. In the back seat was a man of about 25 years of age. The officer told us that they'd caught the man running down an alley three blocks away. The man who matched the description of the thief identified himself as Rudy Martin. While the radio car officer stood by, we took the suspect over to our car to see Abril Harrison, the victim. Caught him already, huh? Is this the man who held you up, sir? Uh, let me get out and take a good look. All right. Mm-hmm. That's him. Are you sure? 
That's the man, even without his mustache and glasses, I can tell. He's lying. He don't know what he's saying. Don't you talk that way to me, young fella. And where's my money? How would you do with my money? I haven't got it. I never took any money from you or anybody else. You're crazy. I'll teach you to talk to me like that. Never mind. Now, if we need anything more, we'll be back to talk to you. You mean you ain't going to take me downtown now that you caught the fellow? No, sir. We'll get in touch with you later. You make him tell you where he hid the money. $1,500, all in paper. You make him tell you. All right, sir. We'll do that. Thank you very much. I'll check with the radio car, Joe. You want him to follow us to the office? Yeah, tell him we'll take Martin here to the robbery division. We'll check him later. Right. All right, Martin, put your hands up as high as you can. With handcuffs on? With them on. You ain't going to find anything. All right, get him up. You ever seen that man before? No. No, I haven't. Is he mad at you for any reason? I told you, I never saw him before. Well, he says he knows you. He says you held him up a little while ago. He's crazy. Why'd he say something like that without a reason? I don't know. Your wallet back here? Yeah. All right, slide up a little. <laughs> Who's this? This is Johnny Salvatore. He's a friend of mine. And Chris Turan? Another friend. They haven't done nothing. They're both nice guys. And look, you've got no right to do this. you got no right to arrest me. We just want to talk to you. If you haven't done anything wrong and you haven't got anything to worry about, have you? That sounds good, but what am I doing sitting here in this car with you? All right, now tell us the real story, huh? I have nothing to tell. I was over by Central Avenue when these two cops came by and picked me up. I wasn't doing anything. Officers say you were running down an alley. They say that you wouldn't stop when they told you to. Now, how about all that? I was scared. You can see how that had happened, can't you? What'd you do with the gun? Wasn't any gun. The victim says it was. I don't know what you're talking about. You ever been arrested? Yeah, a couple of times. What for? Bag. Where? Here, back east. Where back east? KC. You sure that's all? Yeah. What were you doing in that alley this morning? I was on my way to see a guy. Who? A friend of mine. Okay, Joe. Yeah. I'll call in. We can get started. Right. You all set? Yeah, let's go. Now, who's this friend you were going to see, Martin? You have to know that? We have to know. Chris Tarrant. What are we going to see him about? A job. He said he could line one up for him. Where do you live? Rooming house down on Wall. All right. You want to tell us what you do to that money? What money? I don't know how to tell you any better. I didn't have anything to do with that guy. I don't know nothing about any robbery. Go ahead. Lock me up. You're going to have to let me go. I don't care what the old guy says. I didn't hold him up. Not him or anybody else can say I did. The clothes you got on match the ones the holdup man wore. So what? A lot of people wear these kind of clothes. The victim identified you. The guy made a mistake. I told you that. All right, Martin, you called it. I hope you know what you're talking about. Hmm? The victim of the robbery identified you, and there's five more we think we can tie you into. We make you on the rest of them. You've got real trouble here. Now, you'll save us and yourself a lot of time if you'll tell us the truth. You wouldn't know it if you saw it. Well, there's one way to find out, isn't it? Yeah? Try us. a.m. We took the suspect back to the city hall and we talked to him for over three hours. He refused to admit any knowledge of the holdups. We checked him through R&I and we came up with the arrest record that he told us about. In checking his record, we found that the suspect was wanted for draft evasion. In the meantime, the other victims of the holdup man had been brought down to the office. The suspect was placed in the show-up with several other persons. They all failed to identify Martin as the thief. In checking further with the last victim, Harrison, he stated that he'd probably made a wrong identification. We had a search of Martin's room made, but we were unable to come up with anything. The two friends he'd mentioned were checked out, but there was no record on either one of them. The suspect was turned over to the federal authorities for prosecution on the draft evasion charge. We are right back where we started three weeks before. The next morning, Saturday, June 11th, we started all over again. This time, we went back into the files 15 years. Anybody who even vaguely matched the description was checked out. The M.O. of the thief was rechecked. The machines came up with an additional 17 possibles. Each of these were checked out. It took us two weeks, and at the end of that time, we were back where we started again. We had nothing but a description that apparently didn't match anybody in our files and an M.O. that didn't fit any known criminal. During the time that we'd been checking out leads, the bandit was inactive. 
Additional cars from Metro Division had been assigned to the detail and rolling stakeouts were maintained around check-cashing agencies throughout the city. The hold-up man had apparently dropped from sight. Saturday, June 25th, I checked into the office. Robbery, Smith. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Ben. Huh? Right, yeah. Okay, Ben. I got something here. A teletype from San Diego from Ewan and Davis. Yeah, what is it? I'll read it to you. RE, your APB, dated June 10th, RE robbery. Robbery occurred this city last night. MO and description matches your suspect. We have identification as Jerry Lane. San Diego number 146382. Are sending mug shots. Huh, looks like a break. Well, it might have been. Let me finish. Yeah. He got away. 12.15 p.m. A special delivery letter arrived from San Diego with the mug shots of Jerry Lane. There was also a note from Sergeant Carl Davis. He explained that the suspect had held up a small liquor store in the city and had badly beaten the owner. A witness was shown the mug books and was able to pick out the bandit. He was identified as a Jerry Lane. He had only one arrest record, and that was for a misdemeanor offense in San Diego County. We checked the name through our identification bureau, but there was no record on him in our files. The mug shots from San Diego had been taken over four years previously, but the victims of the robberies in Los Angeles had no trouble identifying it, even without the glasses and the mustache. Additional broadcasts were gotten out carrying the name, and radiograms were sent to Washington and to Sacramento requesting any available information. Another week passed while the search went on. During that time, the holdup man hit once more, this time in National City, just south of San Diego. From the reports we got, the M.O. matched the one previously used. The suspect made good his escape. Tuesday morning, 11.30 a.m., Frank and I had been out running down a lead. We just got back to the office. Well, there's another one that didn't go anyplace. Yeah. You know, Joe, if somebody could figure out a way to filter out the bad leads, it'd sure save a lot of legwork, wouldn't it? Yeah, I guess I get it. Robbery Friday. Yeah, all right. It's you. Yeah. Hi, Pappy. Yeah. When was that? Right, yeah. Well, if anything else turns up, let us know, will you? Right. What's he got? Well, it's our suspect, Jerry Lane. Yeah. He's going to have to stand for more than a 211 charge now. What do you mean? The latest victim just died. From the information we got on the phone, it looked like Jerry Lane would be headed for Los Angeles. One of the witnesses to the latest robbery said that the suspect drove away in either a 1942 Plymouth or a Dodge Coupe. The color of the car was listed as either a dark blue or black. Descriptions of the car and of the suspect were printed up and distributed to all law enforcement agencies between Los Angeles and the Mexican border. Al Gayton from the San Diego Department got in touch with the Mexican authorities, and a close check was kept on all cars crossing into Mexico. According to our information, Jerry Lane had robbed at least eight places and stolen a little under $9,000 in a period of six weeks. While we continued our investigation, the San Diego authorities followed up the leads they had. In the course of checking out the friends and associates listed on Lane's arrest record, they came up with the information that he had at one time been employed as a musician in a downtown nightclub. They interviewed the employees of the place, but they were not able to get a definite lead on the suspect. With the mugshot that they'd sent us, and knowing that he was a professional musician, we checked with the local office of the Musicians' Union. They told us that he was not in good standing, and they were unable to give us the address of the suspect, but they did give us the name and address of a bar where he'd worked several years before. At 8.30 p.m. that night, Frank and I talked to one of the waitresses in the place. No, they cut out the band a year or so ago. Not enough business to keep it going. Uh-huh. Did you work here when they did have a band? Sure. I've been here since they remodeled the place. Been four years, anyway. 
Hey, you fellas like a drink? Be on the house. No, thank you. No, ma'am. Thanks. You know a man named Jerry Lane? What does he do? Well, he's a musician. We understand he plays clarinet. Lane? Yeah, it seems to me I do remember him. Not too tall, kind of nice looking if you went for the type. Yeah, I remember him. You know where we can get in touch with him? No, I haven't got the slightest idea. Had to be a pretty big lush. Had to let him go. Union told him, lay off the booze, but he didn't pay no attention. Always showing up late. A real lush. Possible the owner might know where he is? Uh, it isn't likely. I'm married to the owner. I know most of the stuff that goes on around here. I see. Can you give us any idea where we might be able to get a lead on him? Some of his friends? Maybe another musician? No. Hey, wait a minute. Ma'am? I might know someone. Let me make a phone call. Well, if you give us the phone number, we can put in the call. No, I'd rather not do that. You see, this girl used to see a lot of Jerry. Maybe she don't want to get mixed up in a thing like this. I'll call her and find out. If she knows, she'll tell me. If she doesn't, there's no harm done. Okay. Got a dime? Just a minute. Just two nickels. Mm, thanks. I'd rather you leave the door open, if you will. All right. Betty Hodgen, please. Yeah. All right. They're calling her. Good. Nice girl. Never figured out what you saw in Jerry. Mm-hmm. Hello, Betty? Betty, this is Naomi. Um, she's fine. You? Oh, well, he's fine. <laughs> Say, Betty, I hate to bother you, but do you know where I can get in touch with Jerry Lane? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, wait a minute. Did you get a pencil? Yeah. Here you go. Now, now what's the address, Betty? Uh-huh. Yeah, I got it. No, no, it's nothing serious, no. <laughs> no, business isn't that good. Yeah, we still got the piano. Sure, I'm gonna keep it. All right. Well, thanks, baby. You guys are in luck. Yes, ma'am. Here's the address. The club down on 6th. Mm-hmm. Betty says he's there almost every night. 9.42 p.m. We called the office and had another team of men sent out. We notified homicide detail that we'd picked up another lead and they sent out a team of men to give us any help that we might need in apprehending the suspect. The address we'd been given was the Georgetown Club, a small place on West 6th Street. When we got there, the place was crowded and the band was in the middle of the second set. We checked with one of the bartenders. Sure. That's Jerry playing clarinet. See? Gray suit. Yeah, does he work here? No, he shows up almost every night, sits in with the band. Union doesn't like it. They talk to the boss about it. He's trying to get the bomb out of here. Cause a lot of trouble. That right? Sure. Always he comes in drunk or else he acts like he's high on top. You want me to get in for it? Yeah, tell him there are a couple of friends who'd like to talk to him, will you? i do it right now. Uh, you don't want me to say you're cops? No, we don't. I didn't think so. Okay, I get it. Thank you. Some plates they got here, huh? Yeah, sure is crowded, isn't it? Right. Better watch him, he's probably armed. Yeah, let's get him outside. It'd be easier to take there. Too many people here. Yeah, the bartender's got him now. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let him get outside before we move away. Right. And there he goes. Come on. A couple of friends, where are they? They said they would be here. Now, wait a minute. Here they are. Oh. 
Well, you, where did I know you fellas from? You Jerry Lane? Yeah, what do you want to see me about? I got to get back in there. If you fellas don't need me no more, I'll get back to work, huh? Yeah, yeah thanks a lot. Go ahead. No problem. All right, now, what's this all about? I don't know you guys. Police officers, you're under arrest. What for? Frank? Yeah. Stand still. What are you trying to do? You got nothing on me. Stand still. You stay away from me, cop. I'll leave you alone. All right, hold it up. Yes, sir. <laughs> Now, come on, on your feet. Get up. Now, stand still. Please, clean, Jonah. Put your hands behind you. I didn't do anything. You got no reason to shove me around. Cut my mouth. It's bleeding. Yeah, well, that makes two of us, mister. What are you after me for? What have I done? I have too much to drink. Is that it? I wouldn't bother anybody in there. It's a nice try, Lane, but it won't work. We got a half a dozen positive identifications on you for robbery. I didn't hurt anybody. They killed a man. Yeah. The last one, I, I heard he died. Is it true? Did he die? That's right. I didn't know what I was doing, you know. I, I wasn't responsible. I just didn't feel so good. It wasn't my fault. He wouldn't give me the money. I didn't know what I was doing. That's going to make a difference, isn't it? I didn't know what I was doing. I wouldn't know about that, Lane. It's going to be up to the jury, but you can bet on one thing. It's sad. They'll know what they're doing. <laughs> The story you have just heard is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. On December 17th, trial was held in Department 92, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Gerald Carlisle Lane was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree and was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary, San Quentin, California. have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brazier. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Vic Rodman, Lillian Bayef, Harry Bartell. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely new Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspaper for the day and time. It was a really serious episode of Dragnet. 
is at the end when Hal Gibney announces that the the uh, person that uh, Friday and and Smith were chasing ended up in the gas chamber at San Quentin. Ooh. That was Dragnet. The name of that one was The Big Bob. I guess it was because he was a musician. And that one was originally broadcast on September 1st, 1953 on NBC. Hope you enjoyed it. I get a lot of requests for Dragnet. I think people tend to uh, like the more realistic detective shows more than the fanciful ones like uh, Philip Marlowe and Sam Spade. But we'll try to mix it up as, as we go ahead. Going out tonight, I just thought I would pick through my uh, my record collection here and play a, uh, a couple of songs that you probably haven't heard in a good long time. The first one uh, that we're going to play was a pretty good crossover hit from country into the mainstream, and it's by Dave and Sugar, who I believe, if I'm not mistaken, were father and daughter. And then we are going to follow that up with a group from way back in the very late 50s, early 60s, called the Teddy Bears. All right, everybody, that's it. We will be back tomorrow with a Western. In the meantime, you have a great day. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me. Earth
chance to see him smile.